Hello. Hi. I'm Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening to Killer Vibes. A true crime podcast. <laughs> this is part two of the Peggy Hetrick story. Ooh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I know. This story, like none other, gets me heated and <laughs> just... Uh, let's just continue because I want you to feel <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm already mad about it. Yeah. <laughs> so when we left off, for some reason, they arrested Tim Masters and with zero physical evidence, like two pieces of circumstantial evidence, mm-hmm. they know that he walked by the body, didn't report it, and that he has some creepy drawings in his room. That's all we know. Wow. I'm convinced. Who signed that arrest warrant? I would like to know that. Someone's stupid, but... Whatever. It's fine. At the trial, (laughs) the prosecution enters more than 1,000 of Tim's drawings into evidence. Oh, my God. He had over 1,000 drawings? Yeah. I told you. There's a lot. But also, back to my 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 theory that I mentioned in part one, that, like, he lived, when he was growing up, he, his mom died when he was 11. It was just him and his dad. They, They didn't have a lot of money. They lived in a trailer home. He probably didn't have... A lot of opportunity for extracurricular activities and going to the movies with his friends. I mean, I'm sure he did, but it wasn't like you and me growing up. We could, you know, have all this Mm -hmm. stuff outside of school. So drawing was probably his main thing. Yeah, it was probably a a stress reliever. I mean, the images are disturbing. That's that's true. But it's also like art is disturbing. Like you're not there's wrong. disturbing art out there that again, when paired with a different person, would be looked at differently. Yeah, you're right. And so when I heard that the prosecution entered thousands of drawings, I was like, My gosh, that's a lot of evidence. <laughs> yeah. And that probably took a lot of time because you have to enter evidence in like Defense, do you have any objections? Like, yes, we object to um, this one. Relevance yeah, on this one. And, you know, that that would suck. It probably took a long time. Probably. But then I was like, actually, that makes sense. If I were the prosecution, which I would not be in this case because this is stupid, but (laughs) I would want to enter all of them as well because it's not just the drawings that are off putting, it's the sheer amount, like you were saying, that is. Shocking. It is shocking. Without a full explanation, without thinking it through, which in a jury trial, you just have the prosecution just coming at you with evidence after evidence, and you don't have time to process why why might a kid have this? I you know yeah exactly. And I mean, I feel like I don't know. I don't know. Were they all different? I don't. Yes. So they were all different. Oh God! And that, see that? Well, they were all essentially the same thing. They were all. Just violence. There was like monsters and weird. There were monsters. See, I keep on thinking that it's like all women. Okay, it's not like a normal dude and a normal girl in a murder. That's not what this is. It's like, that's why I keep referencing like Iron Maiden or Metallica. It's like weird monster looking people that. Oh, that that makes it even less incriminating. I know. <laughs> because it's not even humans. I mean, some of them are, but some of them aren't. It's a mixture and they <laughs> have their expert witness, Reed Malloy, testify mm-hmm. to two photos specifically. Okay. One of them is a photo of someone dragging a body, like from like they're facing outward, they have their arms wrapped around their the feet? person's no. 
um, like armpits. Oh, gotcha. Like, okay. I'm trying to show Claire, but I'm <laughs> one like, person. So you look like a chicken. <laughs> I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, dragging a person and there's like a feel like a trail of blood, which that happens. Yes. And well, so Tim was like, yeah, I drew that the day of. I drew it after I saw the crime scene. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's drawing what he saw that yeah. day. So the second photo, I think, is even more of a stretch, the second photo. Okay. So in some of his math notes, there's a photo of what I think and what the defense thinks looks like a, think of like a canvas, like a well, you're going to paint on a canvas, mm-hmm. and then you take a knife and you cut through the middle and you have an opening. Okay. Okay. So like a gaping hole in a canvas. Yes. Okay. Want to know what the defense says that is? Oh, geez. Maybe. <laughs> what is it? What do they say? They say that it's clearly the mutilation of her vaginal area, which was mutilated, but it does not look like that at all. Without someone specifically telling you to look at it that way, mm-hmm. you would not think that. And even then, it does not look like that. It's, uh, I just, like, that doesn't make any sense. No, and they even go as far as to, in their closing statement, they hold up a picture of her mutilated vagina Mm -hmm. in this photo. I said that I wasn't going to explain the mutilation, and now I am. Sorry, you kind of have to know it. (laughs) Yeah, it's that's horrible, though. Yeah. And I won't tell you exactly what they did, but hold up the photos, and they're like, it's uncanny how similar these are. And like, no, it's not. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Like, it's not even, it's of a canvas, right? (laughs) It looks like a rectangle. Uh And you took a knife and you stabbed it and pulled your knife down. Like, and it's just like ripped open like yes. Uh, Okay. (laughs) That doesn't sound very weird to me. I don't know. Yep. No. I mean, paintings and modern art like that sell for millions of dollars. So pretty good drawing, actually. Yeah. So like, what the heck? That doesn't. That's not enough to convince me that he's the killer. No. It'd have to be more detailed than that. It would have to have a very accurate and precise, like preciseness to it, the Even drawing. Even if he drew it, labeled it, this is Peggy Hetrick's body. It's still circumstantial evidence. Yeah, absolutely, because they couldn't find any proof that he actually did it, which I would be, again, more convinced if it was labeled and it was... More convinced, Yes, I would have still, like, I would have brought that up as if I was the prosecuting lawyer. That would have been something I cataloged into evidence. Right, but it's still circumstantial even then. Because it doesn't, it doesn't look... It's not physical evidence. Yeah, no, it doesn't look anatomical or anything. It's just like a square. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like in the corner of his math notes... Like, I'm sorry, if you're a serial killer that mutilates women's bodies, you're not doodling in the corner of your math notes about it. No. Okay. Well, all right. So and also, the two most convincing pieces of evidence are very unconvincing. <laughs> I know. And also, I don't know if the defense objected to this, but if I were the defense attorney, I would have objected like a hundred times to more prejudicial than probative as they're entering thousands yeah. o- or over 1,000 photos and holding up photos of her body, like, there's a reason that you can't show crime scene photo after crime scene photo after crime scene photo in a trial. And that's because eventually your jury's just freaked out yes. and scared into giving a guilty verdict. 
Yes, absolutely. Which is what happened. They were just, they deliberated for 10 hours. Mm-hmm. Oh, I should probably mention the defense. They did make a really good point, And let me tell you their names. Um, Tim's attorneys were Eric Fisher and Nathan Chambers. And they make a really good point that would have swayed me mm-hmm. is that to buy the prosecution's theory, you have to buy that a 15-year-old boy outsmarted the entire Fort Collins Police Department. Yes. And that's not probable. Another aspect that kind of worked in the prosecution's favor is that, if you remember, we have on trial, like a 20, like late 20s guy who's been in the Navy, who's like not a scrawny 15-year-old anymore. He's Mm -hmm. like, has muscles and Mm -hmm. looks capable of committing this crime now. If you look at the interrogation videos, it's like a sad 15-year-old that like needs a hug. Yeah. So that worked in their favor, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, in the closing statement, in addition to those photos, they also really drive home the point that who else had the opportunity to kill Peggy Hetrick? Like, that was their closing statement. And just remember that for later, because it will come up again. Okay. Oh, boy. (laughs) So, like I said, after 10 hours of deliberation, the jury finds Tim guilty and sentences him to life in prison without possibility of parole what the fuck <laughs> like this is insane okay and okay. tim later said like he was like i never believed i would be convicted there was no evidence like i thought this was just a trial for you know the formality but <laughs> formal uh, just a trial for formality like, be- he was like there's no way oh my god there's no way there's yeah. no physical evidence there's no way i'm getting convicted i can't believe that that jury del- they 10 hours they deliberated for 10 hours and they still found him guilty yeah, that's gross. Okay, and I mean, all I can say is the system failed Tim Masters. It they, it absolutely did. Yeah, and and it failed Peggy Hetricks too, because right. he's not her killer. No, and it failed the community because there's still one out there. Yeah, <laughs> a creepy killer who kills in a very sadistic way. It's just terrible. Anyway, okay, continue. So on his own, Tim tried to appeal twice and was unsuccessful. But things start to turn around when Maria Liu and David Wymore pick up the case. From a very broad view, they have three elements to their appeal. And mm-hmm. I'm going to go over all of them. Okay. So they have undisclosed exculpatory evidence, a new theory of the crime. Ooh, cool. And our favorite type of evidence. What's our favorite type Touch of Touch DNA. <gasps> oh, DNA. Claire loves DNA. <laughs> I do. I like it because it's very convincing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, okay. First, they find several things that were not disclosed to Tim's original counsel. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, as part of your right to a fair trial. Um, which you do have, Which you way. do have. Doesn't always turn out that way no clearly Clearly. um but as part of that right (laughs) prosecutors have to by law turn over exculpatory evidence and exculpatory evidence just means evidence that indicates you could be innocent right so it's like the prosecution and the defense are both going to have their investigators investigate everything and if the prosecution finds anything that indicates in any way that you actually might be innocent, they have to give that to the defense. Absolutely. And the point is so that, like, 
everyone has a full view of what happened, everything that happened. So and, they can judge correctly. Right. You also may have heard this referred to as the, the Brady Rule. It was established in Brady v. Maryland in 1963 that you had to... So before this case, exculpatory evidence, if you didn't give it over, was fine if you could prove that the prosecution did not do that in bad faith. So like if they forgot or if they accidentally didn't put it in the paperwork correctly. Yeah, absolutely. Which can happen. We're all human beings. It's a thing. But it needs to be added. Well, so after Brady v. Maryland, it you have to turn over everything. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it was an accident or yes. not. Which yeah. so if you if you're human and you make mistakes, don't be an attorney. Yeah, like, basically, <laughs> like just be aware because you could put someone's life at risk if you don't turn in proper evidence. Mm-hmm. And I mean, lawyers can be a little twisted sometimes, and they just want to win their cases. But in the long run, you're here to advocate for the justice system and make sure our communities are safe. So right. and if, do your job And correctly. if that worries you, then don't do that job. Let me tell you about all of the exculpatory evidence okay. that, that was withheld from Tim's original attorneys. See if there was many. There's many. Different There's, I'm gonna talk pieces about, of evidence. that there, Five? Are you going like, to talk about five? Five different things. They're no. not all like individual, like not five individual pieces, but, right, but like, five things. Okay. 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 The first one is... The fact that right after the murder, when the police department thought it was Tim, they put some surveillance on him and they followed him like everywhere because they believed if he did it, he would revisit the crime scene or the grave or something. Sure. Which some many killers do. Right. He doesn't. Obviously, because he's not the killer. Right. He just goes about his normal routine and they don't tell anyone that they found him that they found that he went about his normal routine which would be helpful evidence for the defense Mm -hmm. the next thing is that there was an alternate suspect that no one knew about in this okay i have to tell you because it's disgusting so dr richard hammond is an eye doctor he lives that already is gross okay (laughs) (laughs) he lives the exact same distance from where the body was dropped at as okay. Tim. So like what? Why if you look at a map, it's literally like a triangle. So oh like think of the top point as the body. Okay. The other two are Hammond's house and Tim's house. Like equal distance. Okay. What the Okay, so they had another suspect who was probably more of a suspect than Tim, a 15-year-old boy. Oh, let me tell you why. Oh god, okay. So oh. and they didn't pursue it. That's so annoying. Richard Hammond is a sex offender. Oh, good. He, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> he was, ugh, this is so gross, but okay. he had made this like weird videotaping thing. He, in his bathroom, like right in front of the toilet, he made a fake vent and put a camera in it. And he purposefully put the toilet paper like kind of where you had to reach for it if you were sitting on the toilet uh-huh. so that it would motion activate the video camera to focus and it would just videotape women using women the restroom using the restroom ew and he had like a room connected to the bathroom that he had this whole like video set up in and he also had a storage unit with like tons of pornography in it and the reason they found this out 
is that he had hired a college student to house it while he was gone. Uh-huh. And she kept hearing like a weird sound when she was leaning over to to get toilet paper. Uh-huh. And she was like, what is that sound? And it was the camera focusing. Like, you know how it'll be like. And like zoom in. Zoom, yeah. Zoom, like the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so she was like, what is that? And she kept like moving like around it to figure it out. And she uh-huh. looked in there and she was like, I think I see a camera. So she called the police and they, you know, do the whole thing. Yeah. So we've got a sex offender who lives the same exact distance away. And remember how I told you that in the prosecution's closing statement, they were like, there's no one else that had the motive or the opportunity to do this. They knew about this guy when they said that. Uh, gross. Okay, yeah. So they definitely needed a retrial for that. That's insane. Right. And there were like detective notes that reflected the fact that they were suspicious of Hammond. Uh huh. And all of that was destroyed before handing over the Discover files. Why? His name was never even given to the defense. And they looked into him as a suspect, which clearly another person, an alternate suspect, is like one of the main defenses. Yes. In a criminal trial is like, my client didn't do it because this guy did it. And they couldn't, the defense didn't even have the opportunity to bring that up. And there's actually this quote from, um, the one of the appellate attorneys. Okay. And he was like, geez, that's funny. One guy is a doodler and the other is a sex offender. <laughs> and I was, he's like a really oh dramatic God. attorney and I love it. Yes. Yes. Okay. I love it too. So that's the second thing. Third thing. Part of the mutilation to Peggy was done with immense precision. I'm just going to tell you. You just okay. need to know. Okay. So they essentially describe it as a female circumcision. Oh, God. Oh, God. Okay. And an investigator with the police department, when they were investigating this case initially, met with a plastic surgeon who said that the wounds indicate proficiency in surgery. Well. Basically saying that an untrained 15-year-old could not have done this. Like, it was something you go to medical school to learn how to do. Oh, my God. I can't believe this jury convicted this kid. I know. I'm, well, like, they didn't know any of this. They did not know this information. I mean, I still gross. don't believe they did, but still, yeah. they didn't have this. And, I mean, the eye doctor yeah. probably learned how to do I mean, probably yeah. didn't learn how to do that. Probably, but, but he has a medical background. Right. So that makes it... I don't know. That just, uh, that rubs me the wrong way. And in the discovery file that the prosecution handed over, there's a report showing that the investigator had scheduled a meeting with the plastic surgeon, uh-huh. but there was nothing detailing the conversation they had. So the defense does not know that this guy said that it was done with proficiency in surgery. Okay. Clearly. Fourth thing. They essentially... Okay, remember the theory of um, Reed Malloy that he was like, I can tell this person's entire psychology without talking to them. Yes, which is ridiculous. So his whole theory, which the entire prosecution case relies on, was mm-hmm. this, like debunked essentially by renowned FBI profiler Rory Hazelwood. So... So the, his, evi- his expert testimony isn't even an expert testimony. And they knew this before putting him on the stand. The investigators hired Roy Hazelwood to essentially, I'm assuming what their intention was, was to have him corroborate 
um, Reed Malloy's testimony or like what his testimony was going to be. Right. And he was like, yeah, no, these are just some drawings that a kid did. So his name is included in the file. His interview was not. And he eventually dropped out of the case. But the defense never got to inter like never got an opportunity to interview him because they didn't know about him. Uh, or they, so they at least knew that his name was in the file, but they didn't know that he said that, which would have, I mean, that's just, your case is done yes. with at yeah. that point. Yeah. So number five, a defense expert in reinvestigating the case looks at the photos and notices that there are over a dozen footprints alongside the trail of blood. Uh-huh. But in, in their Tom McCann shoes, which is like a nice... Like dress shoe, like men's dress shoe. Yeah, yeah, which I know a what you're talking about. Fifteen year old doesn't have. No, clearly and not. And in the original trial, Broderick, <laughs> Broderick, Don't like Broderick, um, yeah. alluded that there was only one Tom McCann footprint. So he was essentially saying because there's only one, that it has nothing to do with the killing, when in fact there were over a dozen going right along the trail of the blood. What the heck? I know. So that's all of our missing evidence, and Tim's new attorneys use all of this in the appeal. But next, we have the defense's new theory of the crime. Okay, tell me the new theory. Okay, as a refresher, the original theory was that Peggy was killed by a single stab wound, that's true, um, while walking home from the bar, dragged into the field where she was mutilated and displayed. The defense says no, that makes no sense. Clearly. And here's why. Okay. First, there was not enough blood at the scene for her to have been killed while walking down the street. And they say that they believe the killer first abducted her and stabbed her in their car. They also believe that it was in the car because the stab marks through her clothes don't match up with the stab on her body. Like, they're to the left. Like, the holes through her jacket and her shirt Uh are a couple inches to the left and her body wound like just when she's wearing the shirt and the jacket they don't match up they don't align interesting does that make sense yes yeah that's interesting okay they think that she was like someone grabbed her shoulder kind of and her Mm -hmm. clothes like pulling the clothes to the left a little right stabbed her and that's why they don't match up interesting okay so it was clearly now like not just this brutal murder but an attack and an abduction so it's even worse. Okay. Right. The <laughs> other reason they think it was in a car is her two boots, the bottom of them look different. One of them is undisturbed. One of them looks like she stuck her foot out of a moving car and it was dragged. And Oh, so it has like scuff marks on the bottom of it? Yes. Okay. And they um, actually recreate this uh, thing mm-hmm. and they yeah. have a girl will wear similar boots and stick her foot out the car and uh-huh. drive and it produces the same marks. So I'm sort of convinced that she was abducted and killed in a car. Right. That seems like a very viable option. And yeah, and after she was stabbed in the car, they believe that not one, but two people carried her body into the field because Oh f- because <laughs> oh, f- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to say it like that. It was they just like couldn't say it any other way. That's fair. It's shocking. Yes. Um, and okay, so they believe this because remember how there's the trail of blood from the the curb to where her body was. Yes. It's not a drag mark, which they had initially explained it as, because there's no like heel marks in the ground, like the ground's undisturbed. 
Weird. It's okay. just blood. So they believe that two people, like one person had her arms, one person had her legs, and that the blood is from her is seeping through her jacket onto the grass. And that's why it's a perfect straight line of blood. Because if one person was carrying you like this, well, we're a podcast, you can't see me. If one person, <laughs> like when you get married and like oh. on your honeymoon and <laughs> you're like carrying over the threshold, yes. sort of. Um, okay. That's the position I'm thinking of. Yeah. So if it was one person and they were carrying them, it would have to be that way. Yeah. And that would not produce a clear, straight line of blood. No. So it makes sense that there would have to be two people carrying her. Oh my! And it doesn't make sense oh that God. she was she was dragged because there's no yeah. markings of her body being dragged. Right? Yeah, because she doesn't. I mean, like, if they had noticed the scrape marks on the bottom of her shoe, then her body would have been physically altered. Like she would have had scrape marks all over her back. And there's none. And there's not even at the very least there should have been like marks, like a line in the dirt from where her heels were dragging. Yeah, and there's not. Because the whole thing remained undisturbed because you could see the trail of blood. Mm -hmm. Tim's post-conviction attorneys take the case a step further and look into the possibility that advancements in forensic science could prove that Tim is not the killer. Peggy's clothes were flown to Amsterdam where they were de t the DNA was tested by expert Richard Eichlenbaum. He recovered touch DNA sample on the inside of Peggy's underwear strap and on the cuffs of her jacket. If you remember the way her body was displayed, her pants were pulled down to her knees and her underwear. So it looks like if you just grabbed like this, like her underwear and pulled, that's what the DNA, where the DNA is. Which makes sense considering her clothes were forcibly removed down right. to her ankles. Exactly in that way. They also find it on her jacket, which would make sense if you're carrying someone's arms. The DNA does not match Tim Masters. Oh, shocker. Right there. <laughs> wow, I was not expecting that one. But you want to know who it does match? Oh, my God. The creepy eye doctor. No. Oh. <laughs> it actually doesn't match him. It's oh, that God. boyfriend from the very <gasps> beginning of the story. Oh, my God. It's always the boyfriend. It's like always the significant right. other that was just mad. Honestly, or... just don't look any farther than yeah, that. Yeah, no. That's all you need. Even if the evidence doesn't match, it's probably him. It's probably or her. him. Or her. Yeah, exactly. Um, Ugh. So, yeah, it's Matt Zollner's DNA, which I can see. I can, I could be convinced that the DNA on the jacket is one thing because he was dancing with her. Mm -hmm. He's not pulling her underwear down at a bar. Yeah. And it's also not... Like, if someone pulled your underwear down, they would probably pull it, like, at the sides. Mm -hmm. This is, like, in the band. Like yeah. I'm showing Claire. I'm not pulling my underwear down. <laughs> I just... <laughs> it's, like, it, it's like you stick your hands in there, yeah. grab, and pull. And pull. Yeah. From the very front. Not, like... Oh, that's a weird way to do that. Right? Which is the way you would do it if someone's dead body's laying on the ground and you're displaying... Yes. Okay. <laughs> We got it. Now that we've got a full picture. <laughs> that wraps up part two. Tune yes. in to part three to listen to me explain what happens. Is the appeal successful? I'll tell you. <laughs> um, thanks for listening to Killer Vibes. Bye. Bye.